from the Pathway Studios in Johnston proper. You are live from the path. Johnston Proper. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Here's the deal. is I have found it absolutely refreshing to ask God what he wants me to play for worship tunes on Sunday. I used to not do it. A prideful mic used to just pick them out and be like, people dig these songs, or I worship to these. Everyone love them. And I, I made a conscious effort to say, I don't know why I'm excluding the Lord from this, these, these decisions. So I started asking him. And on more than one occasion... Uh, in the last couple months, we've sang a song, and then like a particular person in the room has either broke out crying or started laughing because the Lord been dealing with them in this particular way for some reason, and it's been fantastic. Oh, <laughs> it's my absolute favorite. <laughs> All right, you're listening live from the past. <laughs> this will be the, this closes Mike's diary. <laughs> Dear. Me. <laughs> uh, all right, here's what we got going on the show. What was I looking at? Oh, yeah. So there's a, te- there's a couple of terrible articles, but we're going to read through them. Uh, the Christian Post got seven fascinating insights into where pastors do their sermon preparation. Here's, here's really the question. Uh, our vote is fascinating or not fascinating. Yeah, okay. Are these actual uh, fascinating insights? Hey, Ben. Yeah. Here's the deal. I've been practicing all week to be a hype man. I'm trying to get a job as like a hype guy, like that follows the main guy around and just hypes things up yeah. behind him. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm going to try that out most of the show. So just be, pre- just, just generally prepare. being a hype man. Yeah. Just prepare yourself. Yeah. No, I'm ready. I'm I'm actually going to hype Ben. I will not going to hype what Boo says. That's that's actually a really good idea. Yeah. I'm, I will be Ben's hype man. There's for, prudence in that. For this I appreciate evening. it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This is a good idea. It's okay. a good idea. What? <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I'm s- you know, you, you prefaced it. I still was not prepared for that. <laughs> I agree. At all. I didn't see it coming. Shoot. <laughs> Boy, I can't be surprised by my own hype, man. Uh, all right. Coming from left field. There's also a 10 reasons you shouldn't quit youth ministry. Yeah. Mike, Mike, Mike wants to be, be supported. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's the deal. I walked in tonight thinking, I got to quit youth ministry. And then I'm looking for this article to change my mind. Okay, good. This is going to straight. Everyone, hey, anybody with this type of problem... Goes to the Christian Post. What kind of guy Googles, why should I continue with youth ministry? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I bet it happens more than you think. Hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the Google and try it. Okay, why yeah. should I? Why should I continue? Okay, hold on. Let's see what this. We're why Googling sh- why should I continue? Yeah, okay, no, hold on. Let's, let's, we'll, we'll add them in pieces. First of all, why okay. should I? Uh, top five, uh, why should I worry? Why should I hire you? Why, sh- why should oh. I worry lyrics? Oh, no. Oh. Why should I live? Uh. Yikes. Oh, Why should I get an Apple Watch? Yeah. Boy, there's a, a vast dichotomy between I'm those last s- two. I'm, I was going to say, I'm really sad that one. Oh, okay. Okay, right. hold on. Next. Why should I continue? Here we go. Oh, oh, good night. Why <laughs> should I continue living? Hey, man, we got to get off the Google. The, the computers are, are ruining us here. Yeah. Uh, we should, we, these are the types of questions we should be typing in to the vast ether. I'm, I was going to say, I'm scared of what the search results are. Uh, I mean, there's, here's the deal. there's a lot of great resources out there, but like... Uh, we got to do better. I'm talking, I, I'm just talking about if this shows within your earshot, and this isn't a question you're asking, just know that people are asking this. Uh, we we got to pry a little bit more into people's lives. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Uh, why should I continue to support the Catholic Church? That's number two <laughs> on the list? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why <laughs> why oh, should I continue my education? Ooh. This- more people are asking why should I support the Catholic Church, uh, or continue to support the Catholic Church, then there are continuing education. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I don't know how Google uh, offers up. Like, do they do it by most popular? I'm guessing. Well, that would make sense to me. Is it's based off of how many people are searching it? Uh, Back yeah. and sweaty. Yeah, that's nasty. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, why should I continue living Reddit specifically? They want to want to answer this question to the people on oh, Reddit. Geez. Ask Reddit again. Bad. Bad option. Yeah, you're going to get some terrible responses on Reddit. Finally, why should I continue to breastfeed? Wow. <laughs> Not why should I start. <laughs> it's someone who got in on it. It's like, you know what? No, I can keep this up. <laughs> well, that's awesome. All right, what was the next one? Why should I continue? Youth. Oh, no. Why sh- okay, here we go. Why should I continue <laughs> youth forum? Why should I continue youth football? Why should I continue youth football be banned? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, why should I continue youth volunteer? Why should I continue youth join Indian Army? <laughs> what? What's Boy, going on in India? That's, a, that's out of left field, Ben. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. What's happening in the Indian state? 
<laughs> it's a work in progress, boo. It really is. Don't I'm give me the eyebrows. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you're practicing. <laughs> I, shoot, I, I, I don't think like, you need to say everything in that voice, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only way I know how to hype stuff up. Hold on. Okay, hold on a second. So I just did the Google search. Why should I continue youth ministry? There are a lot of options. Why we need youth ministry? When you want to quit youth ministry, ten reasons you shouldn't quit youth ministry. Why do you want to do it? Five reasons youth ministry is important. Wow. Maybe I should take some of these quizzes and see if I should be doing it at all. Yeah. Maybe the Google will tell me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, we're going to do that. And then uh, we've got some advice on Dear Life in the Path. LFTP. I don't know. No, it's, just, it's not it's, going to be able to work. It's, it's not getting better. Okay, here we go. Yeah, this, is, this is, we wanted, <laughs> uh, the Lord says, uh, give it a yes or a no on this, so whether these are fascinating. Um, number one. Uh, oh, sorry. The premise was seven fascinating insights into where pastors do their sermon pre- preparation. Number one, the location is largely personality driven. That would make sense. Fascinating. <laughs> this, is, this is a terrible way to start this. Seven fascinating places. Let's talk about the criterion that make the place. Whichever one they pick. Uh, yeah. Isn't that fascinating? They this have a done. choice. It would be more fascinating if I went into a place and go, this place really rubs against my personality, but I always do my sermon work here. Right, exactly. <laughs> See, in our survey, two different personality types emerged among the pastor's location preference. Two? <laughs> one group cannot work effectively unless people are around. They're actually distracted by inactivity. The other group of pastors express the opposite sentiment. They have to be in a place with no audible or people distractions. They want to be alone. That's a good sign. Uh, I, yeah, this, I want to teach has, people, but I can't stand them being around when I come up with it. This has all the makings of a terrible article. Yeah, that's okay. So we'll, no, number one, no, not unfascinating. Okay, not unfascinating. Booba. Unfascinating. Okay, number two. Uh, here we go. The church office is the least favorite location for sermon preparation. Unfascinating. Unfascinating. No one wants to sit in their office and do it. Uh, three, the place of a sermon preparation is a factor of routine. That's a, I don't even care. This, that's unfascinating. Yeah, no, unfascinating. Okay, well, hold on. So they have, uh, just, just think about your pastor and think about what you think he does and then what he actually does here. It says they have become accustomed to a place conducive to study, so they stick with it. Similarly, many pastors try to create a routine schedule, like normal people. Yeah. For example, one pastor shared that he tries to get most of his sermon complete on Monday mornings and Tuesday mornings. Who's this animal? <laughs> what kind of schmuck gets it done on a Monday morning? He awakens at 5 a.m. on Monday and works until noon? That's one guy. There's no way. That's not a normal character. Every pastor I know is, is pounding it out on Saturday night. Yeah, Almost I've every heard pastor more conversations of, man, I really procrastinated most of the week, and then by Friday came along, and then Saturday it's like, oh, no, I really got to get this done. Church is tomorrow. Uh yeah here's here's what I find the right balance is, is I, if 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 I try to get it get stuff take some notes and stuff earlier in the week and then I realize that those were my notes and had nothing to do with what the <laughs> Lord might have otherwise wanted to say on the matter uh, and then I got time to refine that would be the best hmm. uh, this guy this I don't know man this guy up at five a.m. on Monday that's unheard of uh, four that's that's uh, uninsightful though that's or un un uh, fascinating. Unfascinating. It might be insightful, but it's not fascinating. Four, coffee shops are popular sites and seem to be growing in popularity. Many pastors have a specific coffee place they go. Others like to rotate coffee shops in the community just to be visible to others. Holy cats. Well, what? That's, that's wrong. <laughs> that's false. Stop that. Yeah. I like to be seen. <laughs> yeah. Let, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing unless you write in a sermon and then do it yeah. <laughs> at a different coffee shop. I got an idea. I must increase. <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. That, that, they may not be trying to do that, but if that is half the implication, yeah. I mean, I, here's the deal. I actually am a little bit self-conscious about that. Like, I, I do most of my work at a coffee shop because they, uh, I don't have to make coffee. I can buy a cup of decaf and drink it for four hours. Like, they'll keep refilling it. Like, it's way, if I'm at home, I got to keep getting them and making my own coffee. Mm. And so, like, that's why I work at a coffee shop. But, like, um, uh, I mean, I got three or four books kind of lined out, and I'm reading through things, and uh, I don't know. Like, I don't particularly – not trying to draw attention. It's just how many books it requires. Okay. We'll continue with this list, and then I have a, I have a, a nugget of wisdom. All right. Unfascinating. Uh, because I think everybody knows that. Five, home offices are a distant second for places to prepare sermons. Unfascinating. Okay. Six, rarely is the place a silent place. Yeah, we already went through that. Yeah, unfascinating and duplicative. Seven, one response was my favorite. That's what? What? Obviously, a single response is not usually worthy to note in, po- in a post on Insights. I must, however, give a shout-out to the pastor who said his favorite place of sermon preparation was the offertory right before the sermon. Ha! Ha ha! Hey-oh. I don't know what that... 
I don't know what that I is. Tried, I tried to be a hype man on that one. It, it means, didn't work out. It means he likes to make it up just before he gets out there and starts speaking. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I do that. Because I don't write a sermon. Like, I don't, like, I don't, I, I teach. Like, I just teach straight from Scripture. And so, like, I study, I make a few notes. It, if it will fit my Bible, it's good enough for me. Uh, and past that, uh, I mean, we don't do an offertory, I guess, either. But, like, um, I don't have, I don't do a manuscript. Yeah. And so, uh, it's more in the moment. If, if the point is to, like, ha-ha, look at that joker. Like, I guess I do that for the most part. <laughs> okay. Boy, that just was, I expected some of those to be a little bit better. No, that's a real that, was, that was terrible. Okay, so here's what Thanks I'm going to say. Thanks for finding that article, Ben. I mean, I should cut it out of the show. Here's what I'm going <laughs> to say about sermon prep. I think it's the exact same thing about praying, and it's the exact same reason people like vacations, and the exact same reason like people get rejuvenated doing things. It's like you have to, you have to do it somewhere where you don't, you're, you don't have any responsibility there. Right? Yeah. That's why people like the coffee shop. Even if the, even if the lights go out, coffee shop breaks, or you know, they, they're stone cold out of coffee, they're obligated to turn the lights back on, fire up more brew, and bring you some. <laughs> Actually, so I caused that. I uh, I switched to decaf like three years ago or two years ago or something, and like um, they make like a pot of decaf. My guess is around five six p.m. and like they just ride it out. No one else is coming in and drinking this, but I drink a lot, and yeah. so they might have to fire up a fresh pot at nine thirty. And you can tell they ain't used to firing up a fresh pot of decaf at nine thirty. And so I put them out. I don't feel bad about it. I I, I feel like if it is not an indication of why, uh, you know, one of the ten words is to, is to take a Sabbath. And it's to get yourself some rest. Rest, it's it, it, like we, we, we got real legalistic with it, right? But, like, the truth of the matter is when you're on vacation, like, no matter what hotel room you're in or what campsite you're at or whatever you end up doing, whenever something bad happens, it's not your problem because you don't live here. You don't own it. It's not yours, right? right, right and so, right, right. Like, like, all these things lean towards you being able to get some relaxation. And so when you're having a hard time connecting with God and having a hard time getting some prayer in, um, you got to get away from the stuff that that belongs to you, and that, and that's your responsibility. Same thing's true with I, I I think the same thing's true with sermon prep. I think if you try to do it, if you're uh, like a dad, uh, if you try to do it on the couch in your living room, your kid's gonna come in and talk to you. Yeah, and then because they see you there, and they, it looks like you're doing nothing, so they're gonna be like, "Hey, dad, check out this new dance I did." A blah blah blah, and you're like, "Holy cats!" That does happen to me all the time. Yeah. Hey, I think I can do three cartwheels in a row. Well, I'm trying to do the sermon prep. Three <laughs> cartwheels, Dad. Check them out. Ah, big smile. I only did two. I'm going to do it again. Uh, I only planned enough time to listen to you for you to do the three cartwheels, and now we go fire them <laughs> up again. Right? So, like, all that to say, uh, I think if you want, if, if, if you're truly sitting down and you're writing, let's say you're writing a sermon, right? Mm -hmm. And you say, I think you pray, and I think you say, God, do you have something to say to your people that you need me to communicate? And then you wait on that, and then you pray a little more, and then you start reading and start writing and get it done. You should probably do that somewhere. Uh, it doesn't matter who's at the coffee shop. They're not your people, <laughs> right? They're not there yeah. to bother you. They don't care whether you're writing or whether you're not writing. So whether you do it in the solitude of whatever or you go to the coffee shop, I don't think it actually matters. You just need to go somewhere that's not your responsibility. I think the home office is a terrible decision. Yeah, I, so like every once in a while I do find, especially if I'm out of town for work that week or something, I come home and like I feel like I've been away from my family. I'll be like, well, I'm, I'm going to try to do my sermon work here because it's largely reading. Um, but yeah, that very thing is the problem is not only are there distractions, but like um, I, I try to get through it quicker because you look around and you think I should be helping. I should be talking to my children. I should be putting the dishes away. I should be whatever. Um, and so like it causes, it just doesn't, it doesn't give you a a, a space to sit and in focus yeah um and I, and I would agree bible studies are the same way prayers the same way um it's not because it can't be done in those broader areas or specifically holy when you're by yourself out in the woods or something but like it does change your scenery it allows you to focus it's why the it's why the early morning stuff is is it's sought after right because let's say you don't you don't want to get up and go to a coffee shop if you get up at four thirty in the morning hopefully no one else is rolling around your place till at least six yeah. six thirty right and so you can achieve the same thing at home just by getting up or staying up late but, I mean, being around when no one else is around. But it's it's still, yeah, the, the more solitude you can get there and the more not responsibility you can have around you, I, yeah, I think you're, that's way the way to go. Agreed. All right, let's, let's run through these, Mike. Ten reasons you, should, you shouldn't quit youth ministry. Okay, I'm with you. Uh, number one, 70% of those who trust in Jesus do so by the age of 18. You're dealing in the demographic that is most open to the gospel. Huh. Really? You find that to be true? I don't know. Now, here's... I don't know. Uh, nah, see, I... That I'm going to argue right. with those numbers a little bit, right? I think, I think there are 70% of people who borrow their parents' faith 
there might be 15% in there that really, like, you just can't, you can't put a leash on these kids. The Holy Spirit done dragging them around, and that's it. They're gone. Um, I think a lot of them are trying to figure out how to live this life, and, and they've seen the way their parents do it, and their family friends are doing it, and go, yeah, okay, this is for me. And, like, when we talk about kids leaving um, the faith, we say when they hit college, and we're always like, oh, it's the liberal college system, of bobbity bobbity. Now, here's the deal, man. They're just trying to figure the thing out. Right, they're taking all this stuff that they learned, and then now they're being faced with someone that says, "Actually, we don't live our way that our life that way at all. We base it off of this thing, blah blah blah, and we don't actually care about whatever you're saying in the God thing, and and we just live this way." And they're, and they're vetting it out. They're like, "I don't know, does that sound right?" And by the time they go get through some life experience and get themselves a family, and they start looking in their own kids' innocent eyes, and they go, "Well, I tell you what, the world ain't done me no favor, so you know this family's going back to church." <laughs> I think that's more than likely what happens. Yeah. And so the best you can hope for in, when, in, when running a youth group is just be honest with your kids. Tell them the deal. Tell them who they are. Tell them who Yahweh is and tell them how that interaction happens and, and, and start hitting them with life early so they know what it's going to look like so their faith isn't so shattered that they run screaming the other direction. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Two, Jesus was a youth leader and led a revolution that changed the world. You have the same Holy Spirit as he did. All right. Uh. <laughs> Jesus was a youth leader. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, John was young. Is that the joke? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, there's plenty of motivational things in the Bible without calling Jesus a youth leader. <laughs> that's that's for people who think that being a youth leader, a youth pastor, is somehow less holy or less good than being a, a lead pastor that need to be told, hey, guys, don't worry about it. Your ministry isn't any less important. Yeah. Jesus would have used minister too. Yeah, he talked to the rich young ruler. We know he was young. <laughs> oh, it even says it. I, mean, I Here's the thing. Of all the phrases to use, or to use the, of all things to preface, you have the same Holy Spirit as he did. I mean, I, I'm not sure he was a youth leader would have been my, I mean, top 700. Right, exactly. Hey, he raised from the dead via the Holy Spirit. You have the same Holy Spirit as he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. big enough. You can perform incredible miracles, or you could be a youth minister. Uh, here's the three. Every major spiritual awakening in the history of the United States has had teenagers on the leading edge. Really? What? I'm not. What sure. do they mean by that? I'd like to see what spiritual Wait, awakenings that they're talking about. Read, read that again for me. Every major spiritual awakening in the awakening in the history of the United States has had teenagers on the leading edge. First of all, why do you need to localize it to the United States? Second off, I don't even think I agree with that. <laughs> I don't know whether like, I agree with it. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I was going to say, like, yeah. I'm sure there were teens or youth involved, hmm. but le- oh, what, okay. Le- what do they mean, leading edge? Yeah. I, yeah. What's that look like? Is that one of the five dudes that meet up at a, at, a, uh, at a coffee shop and talk about the new thing? Uh, All right. I, okay. Swing and a miss. So Hold far, on. Mike's going to quit. I, I, yeah, so far, I'm still a youth <laughs> leader, but, not, but, but, but none of these reasons are really motivating me. Here's what I'm going to say about this. is like the re- teenagers are part of a lot of things because they don't have anything else to do, right? They don't have a job. They don't have a family. They make wild decisions. They need someone to camp out and, and protest something. They're like, whatever. I can go three days with no showering and survive, survive on these Twinkies. It's yeah. not a big deal. So, I mean... Uh, you, you're you're over dramatizing the fact that like it, you're just taking a demographic that doesn't have a whole lot of ropes on them right now, and so they're free to do stuff crazier stuff that maybe uh, a married lady would not do. And here's the deal: we are under underutilizing that. Oh yeah, uh, like by yeah. here's the thing: we don't we don't uh, as a church with the way that we treat uh, kids and youth, like we do we, we we don't trust them. We don't trust to give them the true things and big things, and so we hold them back. And then we don't drop the big things onto people about like giving up your life and your money and all this business until someone has money. Until they're like, you know, 29. And then we drop it on them. And then they're tied up, man. And, they think, and then they got to balance the responsibility of raising kids and, and spouses and jobs and all kinds of business. And, like, we're like, hey, it's, it's time you make a radical decision and, then, and when they're all kind of tied up. But, like, the Lord is actually prepared. There's people with – I mean, they got time. They got time, and they don't have any money, uh, but they'll use yours to yeah. go do fun things uh-huh. and, uh, for the Lord. And, like, it, we refuse to cede response that we think we're too smart. We're, we, we, you need to wait until you can't do anything about it before we give you the good information. We gotta get, we gotta hand it over at thirteen. Thirteen is when you start handing this stuff over and say, "Look, this is the call, man. This is what God is talking about. This is what it looks like to live your life in fealty to it." There's all these twenty-nine-year-old fellas, thirty-seven over here. Uh, has got this burden of all this crap, and he can't. He, he, he already laid his trap. I got trapped into all this business. Yeah. And so uh, I'm just saying, we gotta. He, the Lord's, He's got an army of folks who can do good work, uh, and we're too proud. Uh, to not hand over real consequential things. We've got the kids walk out of 
walk into big big church with like uh, 16 years worth of making freaking beards out of cotton balls on Noah's face. Yeah. And like, uh, I said, we well, got that's my favorite. That. We got stopped at. Beep, 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 <laughs> According to the United Nations, this is the largest generation of youth in the history of the world. There are one billion teenagers worldwide. Some of them live in your city and need to hear the gospel from your teenagers. What? Some of them live in my city. That's great. <laughs> I had no idea. Did you know that there are teenagers near you? I was going to quit youth ministry, but now that I've had my eyes opened. Right, to the proximity. To the presence of teenagers. <laughs> I, here's what I want to say. Like, just even the premise of this article just makes me believe that we, we look at youth wrong. Like, you're looking at youth wrong. They're just people. These are maturing people. Right. They're, mature, they're, uh, they're just like adults, right? They're, they're trying, they, they get hit with new realities every day. And so by the time you get to be, whatever, almost 40, you, the, the new realities that hit you are, 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 are fewer and far between, right? You're like, I had no idea that Amtrak was uh, started by Congress in 1970. You're like, wow, that's cool. And then a 15-year-old is like, I had no idea that I had to report my income to the income man, and he's going to charge me tax. That's ridiculous, <laughs> right? And so, like, you're learning something new every day in your in your teenage years. And as you get older, you've seen the world go around a couple times, and this stuff stops being so surprising. And so when you're talking about doing youth ministry versus, versus regular ministry, you, you actually, the, the reason we love it is because we get the opportunity to, to, to give them insight that they shouldn't have for the next 30 years if they were to gain it on their own. We're like, this is how the world works. This is what's going to happen. This is what humanity is about. This is what sin looks like. This is what a lifelong of whatever, of running away from God can, can produce. This is what a lifelong of following God can produce. And like, we're just trying to give you a heads up. This is how the world is going to work. So it's not real shocker to you when you're 25 and you ran away from God for months or years and you go, can I come back? Can I, can I go back to what I thought the deal was? Because I liked that better. I tried something and it was, turns out I was wrong. And I just, I just want to go back home, right? And like youth, doing a youth ministry gives you the chance to say, yes, all those things are true, yes. And, and, and when that question comes up, you're not a spiritual crisis. You're just now seeing the world through less foggy eyes. And you can turn around and go, my clothes stink. I'm too far away from home. I want to go back near, near Yahweh. I want to go back to where I came from. And the answer will be yes. And you're preparing them for that. You're preparing them to, to, to see what it looks like to be far away and go, I want to go back. I just want to go back. Hey, real quick. Amtrak was started by Congress in the 70s? Yeah. Yeah. That What? The commercial rail lines were losing too much money. And they said, we don't want to be doing this. And so they said, but we still need pers- we need s- still have to have rail for right. personal use, right? So Congress funded Amtrak. Oh. And then they said, here's the deal. We'll fund Amtrak. You guys don't have to do uh, the passenger rail anymore, but we'll do it. But you have to give them the right of way on the rails. And they're like, yes, agreed. And uh, then they didn't do that. And oh. then when the, when the coal train comes by, they say... Screw you, passenger train. We're moving coal. <laughs> and Amtrak has to stop and wait. And that's why Amtrak has such uh, long, terrible uh, times where really? they're, they're not on time anywhere, especially, especially across the Mason-Dixon. They're terrible. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, they don't own anything between here and California. They got to rent it. And so every time BNSF come rolling by with soybeans and coal, they just go honk, honk, we and stop them for you and plow through. And Amtrak has got to wait. Okay, uh, uh, but if that was the law, why can't, can't they enforce it? Yeah, I mean, here's the deal: the the commercial rail industry is uh, it's like one of those mythical creatures that you can't really. It's like the oil industry, right? Like, there's no one to pin it down. Yeah, I mean, good luck, man. You you could start suing yeah, and whatever, but as soon as you you'll bring the economy to its knees. Right. You think that we're so technologically advanced, we still move almost all of our basic goods by train, by train, by train and semi, train and semi. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, we're like, yo, we can do this, we can do that, we can Amazon and blah blah. We're moving it by train. <laughs> Everything gets moved by train. That's true. Your 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 uh your hair nets and your deodorant might be able to come by a drone somewhere, but like. Every every major thing that made that was manufactured uh, is coming on a coming on a rail car or coming on a, a back of an over yeah. the road. Yeah, two engines that are pulling I mean seven hundred thousand ton worth of load behind it at forty five miles an hour slowly trucking its way across the United States. That's wow. the trains. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty impressive. Okay, thanks for that, Mike. Yeah. All right, here we go. I uh, learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah, I didn't Number know five: Teenagers are looking for unconditional love and can only find it in our unimaginable God. You have a huge. Trump, uh, just a Trump huge, capitals, huge part in making that happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't say, I wouldn't say only looking for unconditional love. That's what everybody's looking for. Everyone wants to feel like they're all right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that they're not hated or a huge disappointment or they haven't screwed their life up so badly that it can't be redeemed. 
Right. I, I mean, of all the things that people are searching for, if they would just flat out admit it and they're willing to try to fix it themselves with all kinds of different attempts, uh, jobs and relationships and whatever. And really all they're trying to say is, can I be redeemed from this, from whatever choices I made? Is this am I doing the right thing? Am I in the right path for me or whatever? And like, yeah, God can provide that. That's true. Uh, teenagers are look, uh, number six, teenagers are looking for a cause and making disciples here, there and everywhere is the ultimate cause. Uh, I wouldn't say that 100%. Actually, my view of, of current teenagers is is they're not looking to get involved in just about anything. I think they want to be left alone. Yeah, agreed. I think that there there may be the random one-off that is very passionate about getting involved in, in social situations or getting involved in changing the world or anything like that, but I do not think that's the norm. I, uh, if you can ignite their passion in certain ways, I think that's what the thing is. You know, If you can get them on board with, with the fact that they can, setting the expectations in their hearts and in their minds that they are not just the youth as in people who can't make change and people who can't do things, if you can get them to understand that they do have a voice, they do have the opportunity to change things, and their passions matter regardless of their age, that's when you get a generation of people that are willing to make changes. And I, I agree, the ultimate cause. Uh, if you get people on board with the, uh, understanding the lordship of, of, of God and understanding who Jesus Christ is and the, the nature of the good news and the reason to, to, to spread it, yeah, absolutely. You get teenagers passionate about that. That's going to change a lot of stuff. I agree with that. But I would say that that is not the norm. Uh, and therefore, flip that on its head and say, hey, you should stay involved in the youth ministry because you can help foster passion towards developing huge things. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think to be clear, like we're not, we're not offering, we're not selling a cause. Right. Yeah. We're, we're we're revealing a reality. Exactly. Yes. Uh, which is different, right? Like uh, to Mike's point, like as you as you start to grow up uh, and you're going through kind of those early teenage years and stuff, like reality is coming at you fast and fierce, mm -hmm. and it brings two two different potential reactions, right? The world opens to you and says, "Hey, look, you are of consequence. You are living in a world of consequence, uh, and you have the option to either hide away from it or actually." Um, if you can grab this thought that you actually do have the ability to make a difference, then, then uh, teenagers and, and, and college-age folks generally want to. Like, there are folks who will say, uh, fine, if, if you're saying that I'm responsible for this thing and I think it's unjust or I think it's not right or I think people could be, could be treated better, then I want to be part of making the difference. And so that's why they're willing to – they're right. like, I, short of anything else to do, I'll, I'll walk the line. Right. I'll hold the sign. I'll do whatever, right? And so, um, but right, it, it, empowering them to understand the right thing, the, the underlying thing that actually changes the world for good, um, yeah, I think absolutely does point them to the right things. And it reinforces, frankly, that like God has often used uh, um, variant age folks, whether old, really old, really young, or whatever, to accomplish his means. Like, um, there's no reason that God couldn't be using them for that same purpose. Uh, seven, the average teenager, teenager has over 400 online and face-to-face -face friends that they can reach out to with the gospel. They need you to equip them to do that. Mike, you can feed them daily posts. Hey, here's a suggestion for your Facebook, Facebook wall. No, uh, here's the thing, and, and, and I, I, uh, I think this is a huge mistake, right? Because like, we try to talk about um, how to equip people to spread the gospel. If they believe the gospel, they will do it on their own. There's nothing to equip. You don't have to teach. There's not a tactic. There's not. And I see this. I got some friends, like obviously online, like hey, this is their whole gig, right? Books about discipleship, books on how to reach people, books on how to this, and, and and seminars and programs and whatever. The flat out thing is, it's like if I go to Popeye's Chicken and I think their new chicken sandwich is the best, I'm going to tell everybody that they should go to Popeye's Chicken and try that chicken sandwich. And that worked. Yep. I, there's not a pamphlet at Popeye's that says, "Here's how to tell the people about this sandwich." Right? I just do it on my own in my own organic way. I say, hey, how do you feel about chicken sandwiches? I'm for them. Well, I'll tell you one thing. You should go to Popeye's and dig on it because this is the best sandwich I ever had. Right? If, if people believe the gospel, they will spread it without any of the fancy tools, and they will do it in the most organic and natural way. The conversations will come up as they should. They will see where people are speaking about either a problem, a worry, a, a praise, anything they got going on. And in the, in the, in the mind of the Christian and the person who is, is part of the, the kingdom of Christ, they will say, hey, I feel like Yahweh belongs in this conversation. And they'll interject him because he belongs there. Right. And it's fine. And that's it. I... I, I I shouldn't say that. I'm, I'm trying to say. I'm trying to think whether I should back off what I'm saying about the discipleship books. Uh, I'm still sticking with no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I just, I feel like you're spinning your wheels, Put man. His foot down on if it. people believe the good news, they will just spread it, right? Uh, Jesus never gave any any other discipleship um, tactics, right? He didn't offer up any. 
Right? It's he didn't say use the best of your human cunning to spread the gospel. Right. Use <laughs> right. your use your vast social media presence and that way you can cast a wide net and get a bunch of people. The best thing you can do for friends of people that go to your youth group is to tell your youth group about Yahweh. That's it. Tell them tell them what the world is, how they fit into it, and, and, and the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and and if they believe it and follow it, they'll tell people on their own. There's nothing you don't there's nothing to do. There's no plant, there's no suggestive phrases. Even if you want to offer to uh uh, one of the things that they like to do a lot is like offer to pray for people. If you don't normally do that, don't do that. Right. It's super awkward and weird. If you pray about everything and someone says, hey, I'm struggling with my parents and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'd like to pray for that. Is that cool? Right. That's fine because that's what you do anyway. Right. If you're not a normal I interject and pray for people guy, either get there, pray to Jesus and ask him if that's what he wants you to do or don't do that because it's just super awkward and phony. And we don't need any more phony representations of Jesus Christ at all. No equipping. Just good news. Eight. If you equip a teenager now, <laughs> they can serve Christ and advance in his kingdom for the rest of their lives. Adults are already old and closer to the finish line. <laughs> no, of, no offense, adults. Oh, Nine. <laughs> Set a teen on fire and they can... Oh, why well, I got to say it that way? <laughs> That's terrible. Here's the, we got to stop this Christian word stuff. All right, boys? Set a teen on fire. I'm on. It's, I'm on fire for God. Hey, you, I'm totally guilty of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm running through my mind here. I'm, I'm just not. Aside from uh, the Holy Spirit coming, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know where that's coming from. I, I don't know. I think it's just to ignite passion. I mean, that's true. Even in literary sense, if they say that guy's on fire for something, is that supposed to mean that he's hot for it, or he's running <laughs> like a madman because he's on fire? Or he's trying to get away from it. <laughs> yeah, actually, that gives. I think it's a burning sensation to 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 continue. That's what I look at it as is like igniting passion. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, being on fire is not a uh, yeah. It's agree. Not positive. Stand, yeah, no, I, I get that concept, and I've actually been called out by when I've done youth leading. I've gotten called out for that. Of like saying, one man, of the kids I, say it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I've said, man, I just hope you guys are just like on fire for the Lord. And then when someone goes, oh, I hope I'm not on fire. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, and I'm just right. like, yeah. Now that you're saying that a lot, I'm just like, dang it, <laughs> uh, you were right the whole time. So I, I mean, just to, uh, they're going to get to set a teen on fire. Uh, you can set a youth group on fire. Set a youth group on fire. Set a church. Set a church. Set a city. Blah blah blah. At the end of the day, the only actual problem I have with this list is like it is. All-encompassing, you are taking up a way bigger role than I actually think that you get, right? Like, I can't set a kid on fire right. for Christ, yep. right? God does that, and their humility does that, and their accepting of the good news does that. Uh, these are all God's ways and God's purpose. And if there's not something that I haven't learned, and 2019 is the year of, uh, I'm not big enough to do this. You are. I can't do this without you. Uh, I'm going to hand this over, right? These are all, is asking God and letting God do things that I can readily admit I can't do. Talk to me 10 years ago, and we're like, Lord, I'm equipped for anything you want me to do. Just send me, right? The guy that walks up to God and said, I got every playbook and every idea and all the heart in the world. Put me where you want me. God goes, I can't use you this way. I can't do anything with you. Come back to me when you're ready to say, God, I can't do any of the things. Can you, would you be willing to use me <laughs> to, and let me watch you do things? God Lord, says, equip me. I can use that. <laughs> equip me. <laughs> equip me for, for, your, for your ways. So I, all this stuff is presupposing that, like, if you thought it out, planned it out, tried hard enough, that you would be able to do these things. And, like, being faithful to the gospel and asking God um, to bring you uh, thoughts and plans and ideas for specific people within your youth group, I think that's God's purview, and I think he will use you to do those things. But, like, in the end, these, is, these are God's fires to set, you know? Yeah, faithful in the means. God will handle the end. <laughs> yep. Number 10, God loves to use the foolish things of the world to advance his kingdom. And there's nothing more foolish than the typical teenager. No offense, teenagers. Ha, ha, ha. Boy, ha. I don't know why kids are running screaming from the church when they go to college. <laughs> Here's the deal. I, I, uh, I don't find this type of, that type of thing funny at all. Uh, it happens a lot in, um, in uh, like when people try to do like male, men's groups or women's groups. There's always some kind of joke about the opposite sex. And it's always super cliche and dumb. Mm -hmm. I'm like, can we not? This is why we're in the place we're in, all right? Can we just not do that to yeah. each other? Do we have to say, oh, like, hey, teenagers are stealing? I find teenagers pretty sharp. I, I like, To Mike's point, like, uh, uh, they're taking in the world different. Um, and frankly, I don't know that they can. I mean, they may be taking it better than me. 
uh, and, and they're handling a lot. They're having to, to adjust to a lot of significant consequence at one time. And so, like, uh, I mean, they're trying. They're trying here. And so, like, uh, I, I don't know, to, to diminish them like they're silly or right. foolish. Like, uh, like I, I just don't, I, I don't find that, I don't find it funny. I, I think there's, uh, I, I think, I think we, we, we do them a grave disservice. Um, I think they're, I think they're immature, but like, we know that. So like, that's, that's, yeah, you, I'm immature. Yeah. You uh, lack but, experience because of age. That's right. What produces maturity? Experience does. Right. right. Like, that's what, that's what makes maturity. It's apparently like, your fault. Right. Or like, you can get wisdom, right? So like, I think to, to the point yeah. of, hey, that's why we try to share wisdom with, with, with kids and with youth and, and, and folks, um, so that we, they can try to to get, to to go mature faster, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like uh, and so like and you have a right and a responsibility to do those types of things. But like uh, they're even having to balance whether what they're getting is wisdom. Like how many? Just because I think it's wise doesn't mean you know inherently they have to believe me. Their support structure may say, look, I don't even trust adults. My my mom and dad were terrible, right? Yeah. You know, and so they don't have a reason to to trust the infrastructure that they have. Let alone you, a guy who's who's pretty confident that he knows what he's talking about. And so, like, they're trying to balance. They're moving from, hey, if, if adult says this, then I must accept it as true, to a point in time where, like, they know that there are adults that say things that aren't true. And so now they're having to refigure out their relationships with people that they know to say, look, is that person actually being honest with me? Right. Have they, do they have what's best for me in mind? They say that, but do they actually have that? Um, and it's really, it's more, it's exposure to evil that does it, right? Like, if you lived in an isolated world, you wouldn't have to ask that question, right? But the older you get, the more likely you get exposed to someone, and you're like, what the heck? That guy does not have my best interest in mind and says he did. Uh, now I have to start questioning my other relationships where I just assumed that that was the case. And it rolls up to God. Does God have, one, does God have my best interest in mind, if he's even there, uh, or is he even there at all? Because, like, I'm, again, I'm, I'm trying to evaluate my relationship with God through my own life as opposed to somebody else's life. And so, like, ah, uh, boy, I, I mean, that's, like, it wouldn't even occur to me to say, hey, these are a foolish group of people. I think they're trying, and I think they'll make some mistakes that are funny to me. <laughs> but, like, um, yeah, I, that's not funny. I don't find that funny. Uh, I agree. I don't think it's funny. All right. I think at the, at the end of the day, the reason that, that, that the articles like this even exist is uh, youth ministry is uh, a highly burnout occupation. Right? Yeah. People get pretty fired up about it. And I'm, gonna t- I'm, I'm not going to say that it can't happen uh, to the best of us, but what I can tell you is is that if you're getting that burnout doing this, then you're— you're, you're not willing to admit to the Lord that this is not yours, right? Like, you can only get burnt out by things if you're going to hold on to them, let them weigh heavy on you, and it's God's to deal with, Yeah. right? Like, kids are going to make some rough decisions. Adults are going to make rough decisions, right? Kids are going to make some terrible choices that put them on. premise is, like, you always feel like if you catch them this early, you can control the trajectory of their life, right? And so, like, if they start making bad decisions when they're, say, 14 or 15, then you think they're already headed in a bad direction, where if you catch an adult doing the exact same thing, you're like, God can redeem. Turn it around. Just go the other way. Right. But like when they're when they're young, you're like, but you don't have all this black mark on your board already, and and you don't have all these things stacked against you or years of sin. Just keep going the right way. And you're so afraid of letting them fail and letting them screw it up that you overburden them and you and you try to make them sound like they can be something that the Bible says they cannot be. They cannot be this thing that you're telling them. They, they, they you paint a picture where you want them on fire for the Lord, right? You show up every Wednesday and you're like, we got to have you guys on fire for the Lord. We got to have you out there discipling and like. Half of them are going, what? I don't even know if the Lord exists. I'm still coming because I like coming I here. I mean, 90% of the adults don't disciple. Like, when we talk about that, like, they don't meet with anybody. They don't think it's necessary to read the Bible. They have no personal, real relationship with God. And they wouldn't even begin to know what to do with trusting the Holy Spirit. And so, like, and you, you're going to lay the burden of what adults can't seem to do on the kids and say, look, this is normative. Yeah. Now, it, 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 again, it I, I doesn't mean that you don't call them to, to the real things. I think those things are true. But, like, it, it, it culturalizes it into such a means that, like, it becomes a burden that they obviously can't bear because everyone else sucks at it, too. Right. Yeah. And, like, um, I don't think you have to call the reality and say, well, you might as well go for mediocre because that's where everyone ends up. But, like, let's at least be honest with what's going on. Uh, here's the thing is, is, is what you're calling, to, calling them to is to understand the relationship between Yahweh, the world, and them. That's it. Those are the, that's the triangle, right? And those are the things you're teaching. I need you to understand who God is and what he did. I want to understand who you are and how that relates to who God is and what he did. And, and I want you to realize the world that you live in and how it relates to both you and Yahweh. And, and, and if you can get those three things into perspective, 
don't have to teach you to disciple people. You're going to do it on your own. Right. You're going to invite people into great things because that's what everybody does. No matter what level of jerk you are, you will know another guy and go, but I'll tell you what, free sandwiches over there. You're like, heck yeah, free sandwiches. <laughs> right, pizza in the break room. Sweet, pizza in the break room. <laughs> right? Everybody invites other people to good things that are happening. And so they will do it on their own. You don't need techniques. You don't need blah, 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 blah. You're, you're spinning your wheels. You're doing way too much in the wrong direction. I'm not saying that I have not been guilty of this in the past, right? I think, how am I going to teach them to deal with their going into high school and, and all the things that are coming at them? We can do that just fine. That's part of the world, part of the triangle, right? I can tell you what the world's doing, what Yahweh's doing, and what you're doing, and how all that stuff interacts. And as long as we nail that, I, I have a feeling that, that the Holy Spirit will do its work. And that's the best I can do is tell you about my God, what he's done for me, what he, what, how I've seen him interact with the world and with me and with people around me, and let you make a decision. And hopefully, I hope you choose the Lord, but I can't make you do it. And I'm going to love you the whole time that you're screwing it up because someone loved me, right? Because right. Christ loved me when I was screwing it up. I think we put way too much weight on them, and it's hard not to do, especially as their parents. You're, as a parent, you're like, I just want the best thing for my kids. I don't want to watch them screw up as I did. Yeah, that's dumb. You need to let that go. They're going to screw it up. They're going to screw it up very poorly. Some of them are going to make some very, very, very bad decisions, and their, 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 their way of life is not going to be what you thought it was going to be. But that was none of your business in the first place. You're to, you're to guide them towards Yahweh and who they are and who the world is, and after that, they get to make choices, and that's common grace. And you just got to be all right with it. Yeah. Agreed. Fair enough. So uh, I was actually, uh, I was at the grocery store the other day. Um, <clears throat> and I was deciding, I, I decided that I was going to go uh, make some steak fajitas, right? So I'm walking through the grocery store. I grab myself some steaks and I grab myself uh, tortillas and I grab myself some peppers and everything to plan on making. And, uh, and I had been in there for half an hour and I was kind of ready to get out of there. Yep. And so I, uh, I get up to the, to the aisles and I'm already noticing there's way too many people waiting to get uh, to get checked out and I start looking through and I'm looking for people that are that are working there to kind of get people through and and I'm realizing there's nobody checking nobody is checking at all to get people through we're all waiting and then I see all these people that work at the grocery store are running towards the door and so everybody kind of starts running with them and starts running afterward trying like to figure a stampede. out yeah exactly trying to figure out what's going on what's happening we're all trying to get out of there and I was excited about my steak fajitas I was kind of angry so we get over there, and I get and I get going, and I kind of am running in, in tow with a couple people asking, hey, what's going on? Like, what, what are we seeing? And somebody says, I swear, somebody just saw the Pope in the parking lot. Oh, and so we're all freaking out, like, whoa, 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 what? The Pope is here. They go, yep, Pope is here today. Let's figure it out. So we all get outside, all excited. I'm no longer angry about my fajitas. And guess what? What? It's Ben. Whoa. I, I walk out, and it's Ben. And it makes me even more angry about the fact that everybody <laughs> says it's the Pope. I'm angry I didn't get my steak fajitas, but apparently everybody thought Ben was the Pope this last week, and it was, it was, it was awful. Ben, what happened? When the, the Pope's got three beds and a bath in Bon Dieu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here's the deal. I, I, don't, I don't know how this rumor got started, to be honest. I, I feel like so, it's some Facebook meme or something has got Probably, this thing fired yeah. up. That's, that's fair. And then I, now it landed on me. Anyway, I had to get these people out of here. Here's what's difficult. In my three beds in a bath here in Bondu, uh, I don't have a balcony, but I do have a front porch. <laughs> and so I thought, the only way to get these people off my lawn is i got to go out on a thing and give some sort of like advice like the Pope would give. Uh, and so then they will, they will take it and, and they will go away. Makes sense. That's what I'm hoping. Okay, so, so I had to think of something real quick. And luckily, there had been something that would be on my mind. So uh, uh, I, I went out onto the porch and I, and I, gave, him, I gave him like a pontiff wave like I do. And I said, hey, uh, I want you to... What should you embrace reality? And then they stared at me. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, they they said we that we do, we do. And then it was funny because it's it's uh, uh, the very nature of them thinking that I'm the Pope was the opposite of what I was getting at already. Uh, but here here was the core premise. Um, and I find that the, actually the, the 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 more I think about this, the more it's at the root of absolutely everything. Um, and I mean everything. Um, is that uh, you just want what's real? Like we have to just want. What is what is true? And here, so here's here's a few examples that have been bouncing around my mind. So um, a, a, this is true for most people's jobs, um, and even in relationship stuff. The word compromise, right? Hey, I want this thing. Someone says I want this thing, and you have to come with something that kind of meets somewhere in the middle, um, where ultimately uh, you can agree to move forward because you give enough for the other person to go forward, right? We call that a compromise, but it's not. Like at its core, it's a right reflection of reality. The truth is. No one was ever going to do the thing that I wanted to do holistically. 
right? If I propose, let's say, uh, what's a good example? Let's say I'm an architect or something, and I, we've, uh, I, I work for a firm, and there's two of us that are helping this one account. And I show up, and I design this whole house, and I go, here, the house is ready. And the other guy has spent another, like, three weeks on the other side, and he comes with a completely different design and goes, the house is ready. Like, we are going to call it a compromise. I gave up a little here. He gives up a little there. And we figure out what house we're going to do going forward. But the truth really is, is that it was never going to be that someone was going to make my whole house, was going to take that house design that I did um, and build it when there was someone else that was contributing to it, right? And so a lot of times when we think, oh, I had to make a compromise, what we think is, is like, I, I gave up something. I lost, but you didn't lose. It was never going to happen. It wasn't real. The thing that you thought you had that was, that was real, this house design, it was never actually going to be that. And the, 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 what we lose the most in life is we look at things that weren't real and we hold on to them as if they were true. So think of this um, uh, now a, a lot less technical. Think of it in a, in a relationship aspect or something. Um, hey, I, I, we, you were dating somebody and it turns out they were a jerk. They were a real jerk, and you're going to break up with them. You're like, I can't spend my and, – and, like, you're going to – then and afterwards, you're, you're mourning, right? Because you're mourning. I thought I was going to spend my life with uh, – the rest of my life with this person. I thought they were this person. Um, it's okay to mourn that your life wasn't as you, as you were expected. But, but recognize that, like, it actually – you didn't lose something that was real anyway. Right? The thing that you thought was going to be true wasn't actually true. You just thought it. You just thought that that was the thing. That person wasn't actually the right person. And it sucks to find it out. But, like, you didn't lose as much. The point is to say you didn't lose as much as you think. What it feels like you lost was you lost the perfect person. But you didn't have the perfect person to begin with. It just took nine months for you to know that, for that to be revealed to you, or two years, or five years, or ten years for you to realize that type of thing. Um, and the same thing is true, I think, if in, in other just like non uh, other relationship things where we get the maddest at people and we, we really hold on to past to the past things. We feel like we were mistreated. We were we were someone had done us wrong or that uh, we just didn't get everything that we wanted. We have to embrace the reality that everything you wanted wasn't real to begin with. It wasn't going to happen. And the more that we can realize that, like, compromise, as it go, going back to the first example, isn't me giving up something. It's me right-sizing my reality. It's me coming to terms with what was actually true. That's the compromise. So, because um, what, and if you, the, 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 how you look at it really changes it. Because one looks like, oh, I had something perfect, and I gave up some, and now I have a less than. That wasn't the case. I never had the perfect thing. I just, with my interaction with this person over here who had this other design, we have now come to terms with what the actual reality is. And I should be grateful that I'm dealing in reality, that I'm no longer under the pretense of falseness, that this thing was going to be true when it, when it wasn't. So the, the, the advice then is to say, we want that. We, have, we want to be able to deal in true things. That We should want that more than anything else to say, look, I don't want to walk around blind here. And so think of my relationship with God is that, like, I want God to strip away every pretense of mine that is wrong. Because why would I want anything false, especially of my own devising? The thing that I thought was true that wasn't true. And so let's say someone comes up to me and says, hey, listen here, Ben, you were a jerk. Boy, I really hate to find out that I was a jerk, but I am really thankful that someone said it. Because if I was a jerk, <laughs> I would like to know it. Because what value do I create in my life going, oh, no, I wasn't. I wasn't a jerk. Or like, hey, man, you lied to me. No, I didn't. To whose value are you creating? You're denying the true thing. And, like, and then you're trying to keep up this false pretense and this, this, this lie. To, you're creating like an alternate version of reality. And if you keep stacking, you stack false realities upon each other, you start feeling entitled to that reality. Hey, I think they should just use my architectural design. Because mine's way, way better than that guy's over there. It's not true. It's, not, it's a false reality, right? But then I start being entitled to my belief of the wrong thing. And so sum it all up, I, I guess the point is to say, like, fiercely protect that which is real and desire to have it, regardless if it comes in a means of which you don't like, regardless if it has to give up on things that you think are awesome. The point is to say, like, we should want, we should seek after what is true, what is good and what is real 
and say, I'm willing to have my reality brought to bear and have my, what I think of the world changed um, in any means necessary so that I may deal with what is actually real and true. So you got to embrace your reality. Get off my line. I think that cuts and shuffles uh, uh, a lot of obvious problems, right? Yeah. Because like, pride tends to, tends to fall to the wayside when you're willing to just say, I'm seeing this thing correctly. I, you know, uh, my idea wasn't this or this or whatever, or my thought in this relationship wasn't this. And, and like, it is a way more pragmatic way to approach uh, a situation and actually just staves off a lot of problems down the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, I think that's, like, I, I've noticed this the, at work a few times. So, actually, I had a, I had a situation where um, uh, I was rightfully hum- humbled in something. Like, I had been pretty firm about not wanting to do something a certain way um, because I didn't like how someone was going about it. And, I, frankly, I, th- I thought they hadn't thought it through and they had the wrong idea. Now, the truth is, is that, like, I still believe that most of the way, but I was, I was working on something else. I realized, boy, actually, the thing that they were wanting to do actually does make a ton of sense here. That's true. The reality was it was way easier for me to say those people are in their idea to do this thing this way was completely wrong. And it's, and it's easier for me to just ignore it. And when I figured out that that wasn't true, my option was to deny that. And say, oh, well, the thing, I, the, I was right, just because it affirms that I was right. Or I can say, hey, look, uh, I, that, that part of the idea was actually right on. Yeah. And, I, and so I had to go back to them and say, look, I was wrong. I was, uh, I had, I was being short-sighted in this particular thing. Um, I'd like to reapproach this because you're right. And so here's ultimately what I get, though, is I actually get the best outcome. I want, I want the true thing. I want the actually truly the best thing. I don't want the best thing because it was me. I don't want the best thing because it saved me from embarrassing myself. I actually want the right thing. I want us to do this process or this outcome in the right, in the best possible way. And if it includes me acknowledging the fact that the thing, the, somebody else had like a way better idea about this, then I should do that. Yeah. I should want that reality. So the point is like you're realigning what you're saying that like I don't have to, I don't have these, uh, um, not amateur, false fealties to structures of, yeah, but it's the, but uh, I'm trying to protect this person or my, how people see me or this infrastructure or whatever it is. I just say, look, regardless, I just want the right thing. I want the best thing. And if that includes this, then I want my reality changed to say the thing that I thought was the best is like 90% of the best, but it's not all of it. This yeah. thing is what actually changed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's a mix of two then, right? Like it's saying like you want to deal in real things and um, you want to go for true best, right, and, uh, regardless of the source. Well, and so the, which is the definition of um, of real things, yeah. right? Like if it's if it's real, if the reality is is that uh, what is best is okay. So actually, go back to the architect example. Me and uh, Stu over here, and maybe Stu's design is like actually like way better than mine. Holistically, the whole off the shelf. It's better than mine. Can I say that? Can I actually get, like, can I want more than uh, trying to protect my name or trying to say, oh, hey, I contributed to something that was ultimately awesome? Can I just call the reality for what it is and go, you know what, Stu is freaking awesome. Yeah. That's awesome what you did. Uh, I would go with Stu's. Yeah, <laughs> look at that thing. And, like, it's, it's so, so it started, what, what this does is it starts to combine a whole bunch of different things. It's, it's, it's believing in truth. It's um, humility. Um, it's 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 lacking uh, false pretenses for things, and it just says, "Look, I want what I want it to be true. I want to follow the true thing, and I'm willing to pursue truth in whatever means it may come through whomever and through whatever circumstance. And I will be glad for it. I will be excited for it that what we got to brought the truth to bear. Yeah. Um, and so, like, it's 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 more of an attitude thing. People don't intentionally, generally try to. To, to, to get away from those types of things. But, like, it, it, it forces you to right-size your reality. Um, and, like, the, the reason I brought up the relationship one is that, like, it, it, it starts to frame um, the right understanding of what we lost. I mean, whatever. I, maybe I've given this example before, but it happens with my, with my kids or something. They're like, hey, can we stay the night at so-and-so's house? Uh, no. We're busy. You can't really do that. Or I know that they're busy and their parents can't have you over. Oh. And they feel real bummed out like they lost something. They did not have it. Yeah. They were never going to stay the night over at so-and-so's house. It was not going to happen. They feel like something has been taken away from them. But it wasn't taken away from them. They did not have it to begin with. That's correct. And so, like, it's that same thing as the, 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 the concept of recognizing you can't lose what you didn't actually have. Um, and, like, it's good to have hopes. I hope this thing was going to be true. But to find out that it wasn't true, you're blessed for knowing that it wasn't true so that you don't spend your time hoping in it. Hey, if I could just tell you up front, hey, we're, we're not staying in anybody's houses this week. Everyone's busy. 
then you don't waste your time hoping on something that's not a reality. Yeah. I'd rather know that someone doesn't love me. I'd rather know that someone thinks I'm a jackass. Like, line them up. Yeah, right. Go ahead. Just, I, yeah. give, it, just give me to it straight. Yeah, right. And, and like, I, I, it doesn't mean that those things don't hurt, and it doesn't mean there's not a consequence to, to finding out reality. But just recognize that, that true things are a blessing. Reality is a blessed thing. Um, and sometimes it's hard, but like, just rec- just be able to call that for what it is. Boy, I learned the truth today, and I'm at least glad for that, even if I hate the truth that it brought, you know? Yeah. So anyway, that's the, get off my lawn. That's it. Okay, we got time for one. Dear, live from the path. I live in a townhouse in a small development, just four townhomes with a very relaxed HOA. Uh, since it's just the four of us, we discuss things like uh, needed repairs and come to an agreement. Our problem is our newest neighbor. He smokes outside at all hours. <laughs> oh, man. What an upstart. It prevents the rest of us from enjoying our own outside spaces, nor can we open our windows for fresh air. As far as I know, she smokes only outside and not inside. What can we say or do as we can enjoy our decks and patio spaces or leave our windows open without being smoked out? What? Does she smoke a bonfire? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Is she like coming up to your dining room window right. and going, hello? <laughs> uh, no. What? Man, this I'll is an entire neighborhood that, is, like she's got that a, is put against by one person smoking one cigarette at a time. Yeah, like they, they play it off like she's got a billows over there. Like, right. Right, exactly. Over. So let's talk about. My neighbor started smelting iron recently. It was really, <laughs> really, really inconvenient. Let's talk about looking at things in reality, right? <laughs> Okay, one, she smokes outside at all hours. Are you outside and trying to enjoy your spaces at all hours? Because <laughs> or just from dusk. Yeah, I, I mean, are you, are, you, are you creeping on her, right? Like, is she out there at 3 in the morning? or why? I don't understand why that even came up. Janice is Like you're again. trying to paint her as some kind of upstart who's just out there all the time, you know, flowing nicotine. Two, we cannot. It prevents the rest of us from enjoying our own outside spaces. You, sir, have a low threshold for things that cause you non-enjoyment. Right? Now, granted, no one likes the smell of cigarette smoke, especially if you're not a smoker. Right? But, like, unless you're building these townhouses, I'd probably elbows to elbows. Uh-huh. Right? Like, you don't have to live in a townhome, and they have as much right to stand outside their own townhome and smoke cigarette as you do to stand outside and not smoke one at yours. So, you don't like townhome living. That's what you don't like. Right. Right? And so, what you can't do is move in a townhouse which puts people right next to each other. You're only four dudes in, and you're like, this is a mecca. I love it here. It's a utopia of townhome society. And then by the time number five moves in, who drives a race car? Oh, well, we hate race car, man, because he's not like the four of us. Or we don't like the, the chimney over here because she smokes and the rest of us don't smoke. This was going to happen no matter what. That's right. This so, was always going to be the case. That, so the, the right thing, the real thing is, is there was always going to be uh, a, an X, and that's the number of people it takes for you not to like the new guy. Right, and so does, and it happens to be smoking lady, and it could have been any number of things, but it's smoking lady on this thing, and so you're gonna have to give this up or stop living in a townhome, right? That's the fairy tale, right? You think you're gonna get thirty people in the townhome block, and you're gonna love all thirty of them? That's ridiculous. Yeah, that, 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 okay, yeah, you're right. This is a, this is an excellent uh, this is an excellent example of not not understanding your reality. You can't move next to the interstate and complain about the noise. Like, there's a reason it right. was cheaper than everywhere else. Yep. Uh, you want to buy a townhome and not have your own thing, take care of your own big lawn, and have a bunch of space between you and your neighbor, uh, then you're going to have to deal with being close to your neighbor. Say, hey, look, I, I really want to be right next to people. Great. You're, it comes with everything yeah, that people sometimes do. sometimes people suck. Yeah. yeah that's right. And, and in so, this case, sometimes people just do what they want to do. Yeah. Smoke. So, like, like, yeah, the expectation that you can, uh, you walk in and say, hey, I get all the benefits and none of the problems is stupid. Right. Don't be stupid. <laughs> you, you, were, you were probably pretty excited about the Relaxed Homeowners Association. Until someone came in and started doing something you didn't like. And then it was like, oh, crap, I really wish I had a strict homeowners association would tell them to stop smoking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I suppose you could work to change that. Um, but, I mean, you're a little late. Go move in a town home where the HOA says, look, you can't smoke outside. Right. If it's, if it's that much of a deal breaker for you, you should have looked at it when you moved in. Yeah. I mean, and to Mike's point, like, uh, like if it's not cigarette smoke, it's loud kids. Yep. Or... Someone who, you know, is constantly doing, has a lathe and listens to Yanni when he uses yeah. it in the undies. <laughs> Leaves like his rake night. outside on the yard. Or, you know, then like there's a, you puts a, puts a, a cow welcome mat down that yep. you don't like. That person mows a little too bad. early. Yeah. Yep. Puts out his divided house placard like way before football season or something and it makes you angry. Yeah. These are, yeah. Okay. Segular says, 
Because your homeowners association is so tiny that you have no manager to handle it, it is important you approach this sensitive problem with a positive oh, attitude. This woman is the newest member of your four-unit family, and this will be a long-term relationship, for better or for worse. Remember, it must be built on trust and mutual respect. Come together in a neighborly way to discuss other matters that need to be dealt with, and then raise the subject in a non-contentious way. This is not dealing with things in reality. The solution might be something as simple as her agreeing to walk farther from the building when she smokes. Determine what would be acceptable and work from there. I she's totally going to go for that. So, I, I mean, I have a feeling none of it's going to be acceptable. She'd be like, look, what if I stand in the middle of the cul-de-sac? No, then you're spreading around to everybody. All right, well, what if I go like 20 feet that way? Well, we can still smell it. I mean, you ever heard of guy? I, I mean, I can smell a guy smoking three blocks away. Yeah. And, I'm like, and I think to myself, one of my friends is over there. I should go talk <laughs> to that guy. <laughs> so I, I don't think any, any type of compromise. You're not even set up for a compromise here, right? You didn't even offer anything to come up with. So I, I think you're just going to be against it, and you need to stop that. I mean, here's the deal. Uh, if she smokes, I mean, every nook and cranny of the day, I feel like you just wait her out. Yeah. It seemed like you were half mad that she doesn't smoke in her own place. Right, why don't you go chief up your own house? Why well, you gotta take it to the outside world and smoke it up? Well Okay, ready one more. Okay. That's it. Dear life from the path. Our grandniece was supposed to be married in April twenty eighteen, but a week before the wedding she caught her fiance doing the cheats and the wedding was called off. Mm. We live over a thousand miles away, so several weeks before the wedding, we went online to their gift registry and had a gift valued at more than two hundred and fifty bones shipped directly to them. The mother of the bride confirmed when the gift was received. After the wedding date passed, we thought we would receive reimbursement or be asked if we wanted the gift returned. It has been a little over a year now, and not one word has been mentioned about returning any gifts. Our family members are in the same situation as we are. Isn't it, isn't it proper to return gifts if the wedding is called off? If it was an inexpensive, small gift, we wouldn't feel so bad. Are we wrong to be hurt and a bit shocked, feeling snubbed? I'm sure it's at the top of her list. going to say, the woman was cheated on a week before her wedding. My whole life was destroyed. Your my air granddaddy fryer got does me not this mean anything. air fryer. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to get this returned. I'm picking the pieces of my heart, but I got to get the air fryer back. <laughs> Freaking ridiculous. Yeah, here's the deal. The whole thing sucks, okay? Yeah. I mean, once again, let's look at it in reality. Yeah, no matter what dressing you put on a crap sandwich, you still got to eat it here. A week before the ceremony, you found out the dude was cheating? Heartbroken. Devastated. Right? Abandoned. Treated terribly. Betrayed. Well, I got to get this air fryer back in for Nana. Otherwise, she's going to be pissed. Here's the thing. <laughs> I, if I would say, uh, I think my reaction to that would be, as soon as I found out that would happen, I would send a card and say, hey, look, that's really rough times. If it's at all beneficial to you, right. you go ahead and keep that. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it brings you some joy. Sell the air fryer. I don't care. Fry it up. We got you that sweet TV. Enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for everything. Don't let him have it. Yeah, don't you, give it to him. You get it, though. <laughs> He's a schmuck. So the hard part about these advices is, like, I, if it was personal advice, right? If the dude, if it's just a guy sitting in here, we would look at the guy and say, just let it go, dude. Yeah, let, let him right. keep the air fryer. It's not a big deal. Absolutely. Right? So the, the question is, are we trying to offer broad-scale advice or etiquette? That's not our wheelhouse. We're not really great at that. Yeah, I suppose a year afterwards, she's probably completely forgotten about it, yeah. right? She spent the first six months picking up a piece of her heart off the floor and, and looking at her reality and saying, I thought I was going to live with this guy. Right. It's going to be my life, and it's not. And dang it, I, this is screwed up. And then you're like, oh, crap, the gifts. You know, and, and how do I even return them after a year? I don't know. Yeah, you know, that, And that's going to bring up even more heartache because she's going to have to, like, return every one of them and think to herself every time she returns something, this is supposed to be something for me and my husband. Well, right. well here's the deal. Though. It's, it's, it's probably a niche reality. Like, most people wouldn't have given her the gift already. It's likely that, like, this might be one of two gifts that someone actually gave her a week early. Yeah. Right? So it's not like she has to do this broad scale, which makes it even more likely that she doesn't, you know, has forgotten about it. And so, I mean, I, you can, I, maybe you maybe you just see her at the, at the Christmas or whatever and go, hey, man. Where's that air fryer? You getting a use out of that air fryer? She's like, oh, my goodness. I really meant to. I totally blah, forgot. Blah, blah. That's been sitting in my garage said, for the last year. Yeah. And then, like, you can, you know, uh, she's probably offered to give it back to you and, now you're in a real squeeze because you look like a real joke to ask for it back. Yeah. Just, Just let it go. You let it go, man. It's tell, too- me, tell me that you spent 250 bucks a year ago and you're like, man, that still stings. It's really affected right. the old bottom line, the old 250 I spent a year ago. Yeah, if you're Whatever. willing to give it out, you're, you're living in a false reality. You were willing to give it out, and now just because the occasion... Yeah, actually, okay, yeah, another great example. Uh, the ship has sailed. You expected to give it away. You've put money down, and you gave it away. 
You're not out anything else. Right. You're you're forming a false reality in which you should have that money back now, even though you're perfectly willing to give it away in the first place, which means you're not hurting for it. Yeah. And it's not unreasonable that that reality could come about, right? right. That she could have a week later sent it back or like six months or like something. It's not that it couldn't have happened. Yeah, but like stuck in the expectation. You are not out anything. Right. Than what you already expected in this situation. Yeah. Uh, and and frankly, you can become you can turn it into a somewhat of a blessing if you would just shut your trap and you, be gracious about it. You know, I I can actually add a little bit of a personal t- twang to this, if you will. Okay. Um, I was engaged at the beginning of this year, um, to be married actually next month, uh, and we had received a sizable gift, uh, a donation from a couple that we know, uh, kind of as a help uh, to start your life out. And I ended up we we broke off the engagement, and so one of the first things I did it took me a couple months to kind of get to a place where I could, but I went to that couple and I, I thanked them for, for the generous donation and the generous money they gave. And I said, I'm going to pay you back as, as quickly as I can because, you know, we're not obviously together anymore. We're not, we don't have that expectation. And they were just like, well, we're obviously not hurting for it. So just whatever. If that went to paying back certain things, if that went to this, whatever, it's fine. I'm like, you sure you gave me a lot of money? Like that was, I appreciated you doing that. I don't want to be indebted to you because of this. They went, no, it's fine. It's not the end of the world. Use it for whatever you did. And if you already have used it, uh, great. If you haven't used it yet, find a use for it. We love you. And I was like, thank you very much. That meant so much to me. Yeah. After dealing with all the sludge that I had been in and having to come to this person to go say, hey, I'm not. I, I want to pay you back for this. And they're just like, no, don't worry about it. We're not hurting. Fine. Yeah. Right. Give give people a chance to, to handle things well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Secular says, uh, no, you are not wrong. I assume you oh, never received a thank geez. you for your generosity either. Wow. Oh we just getting a broomstick out. Way to be secular. Wedding gifts are not to be considered consolation prizes. Oh, the rule of etiquette is, if there has been no wedding and the wedding gift has not been used, it should be returned to the sender. Oh, what the heck? I'm sure she got the book out. Do they do Jeez. that for all, the, for all the, the ladies who have troubles in the wedding? They send a free book? Here's how you handle your depravity? Yeah. Yeah. That's awful. You've been listening to Life from the Path. Yeah, no, I, listen to me. There's a lot of there's a lot of terrible things to be mad at in the world. This ain't one of them. No. Right. You out yep. 250 bucks, whatever. I mean, you've wasted it on other things. Heck, you wasted 10 minutes writing this letter. So you're not you're obviously not opposed to wasting things. So I would say you're out to 250. Just let it go. It's it's not like the dude took it, right? It's not like the guy who cheated has got your fryer and he's over there making up making up blooming onions in his place, right? Your granddaughter got it, which is who's the intended target. So I, I, you know, let it go. Yeah. Okay. All right. You've been listening live from the path. Hey, maybe there's something about the show that you really dug on, and you'd like to tell us about it. Call us on the digits. Beep 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 beep. Just feel free to use the complaint line five one five five one seven zero zero eight five. We take both positive and negative comments on the complaint line. We just named it for what it's most likely to be used for. Uh, maybe there was uh, parts of the show that you found embarrassing for us. And you'd like to share that with us so that we can right-size our reality. Yeah. Go ahead and do that. 515-517-0085. Now, you stay classy, you and the youth group. Um, in case you were thinking about bailing, I hope that we uh, I hope that we invigorated your life. Yeah, stick with it. In the meantime, be faithful to me and God will handle the ends. You've been listening to Live from the Path. Ooh.